You're listening to another exclusive podcast from Vituitary World News. This is Jorge Fascinetti. Welcome. Today, Dr. Blevins discusses hypogonadism. That's the condition where the body does not produce enough testosterone. Here's Dr. Blevins. This is Dr. Lewis Blevins of Pituitary World News, and we're podcasting today from Sausalito, California, regarding human chorionic gonadotropin and its use in men with hypogonadism, in particular hypopituitarism. Now, first, let me relate a little bit of the history of testosterone or androgen replacement. It all started over 100 years ago, probably now, uh, when Charles Brown Sequard, uh, who we think was probably hypogonadal himself due to whatever reason, uh, learned by taking the testicles from dogs and grinding them up and injecting them into his thigh, he could restore his vitality. Um, I imagine he didn't keep too many pets, but uh, he uh, certainly uh, was a pioneer in the field, if you want to call that pioneering. It sort of reminds me uh, as to why some people early in the field used to refer to his endocrinologists as endocriminologists. But with that said, uh, he started the revolution of testosterone replacement, and ultimately testosterone was recognized and synthesized in the laboratory, uh, and throughout the history of time, we've tried to give it orally, which is not a good idea because you can get liver cysts and adenomas and all sorts of problems uh, since uh, taking it orally, it goes to the liver first. Uh, and then uh, injectable testosterone and uh, testosterone esters in oil were developed, and we still use some of those. Uh, testosterone enanthate, testosterone cypionate were the two main ones. Uh, and now we have testosterone gels or patches that can be applied to the skin uh, and testosterone actually crosses the skin to get into the circulation. Uh, so uh, over the course of my career, I've seen some tremendous advances in that we have topical testosterone. When I was at Hopkins during my training, I had patients enrolled in the testosterone patch study and it was after the patch came out, they started using the, the gels. Along the way, someone tried little testosterone chiclets that you put in your mouth and uh, and have it absorbed through the lining of the mouth, but uh, that didn't really take very well. Uh, and nowadays we use uh, testosterone injections, testosterone gels, and then there are testosterone pellets that seem to work reasonably well for some people. So HCG therapy, how, how does this fit? Uh, HCG is human chorionic gonadotropin. Uh, that's an alpha subunit hormone that... Uh, uh, is produced by the placenta during pregnancy. It's the thing that's the pregnancy test. Uh, it's a hormone that does a number of different things. It not only stimulates the corpus luteum to make progestins, which helps keep the pregnancy alive in the first trimester, but it has one four thousandth activity of TSH. So patients who have HCG-secreting tumors, uh, which are usually germinomas somewhere, can actually have hyperthyroidism. It turns out that HCG also binds to the LH receptor uh, on cells and can act like LH. Uh, the LH is luteinizing hormone. It's what's produced in the pituitary gland that drives the uh, testicle, the Leydig cells in the testicle, I should say, uh, to produce testosterone. It does things in the ovary as well, but this is about uh, men, so we're not going to talk about the ovary today. Uh, but at any rate, uh, it acts like LH and drives testosterone production by the testicle. 
Now, FSH, which you've also heard from by the pituitary gland, uh, does different things in the testicle. And uh, the main things that it does is it nurses the Sertoli cells and also the uh, probably the spermatogonia. It has effect on them to lead to sperm production. Uh, so LH and FSH are very important in men for testosterone production and sperm production and quality of semen with all the right minerals and vitamins and and uh, fuel sources and uh, binding proteins, androgen binding proteins, etc., cetera, uh, so that uh, uh, fertility can be normal in men uh, who are normal. Obviously, when you have pituitary disease, you don't have coordinated production of LH and FSH and end up with hypogonadism that we, in most cases, treat with the testosterone that I was mentioning beforehand. So HCG therapy in patients who have hypogonadism is not a new thing. It's been out there probably for at least 20 years or more. Uh, I haven't done a literature search to find out exactly the advent of therapy, but I recall uh, employing it during my fellowship, so that was around 1990 to 1993. And um, we can use HCG for various reasons in patients who have hypopituitarism and hypogonadism. Far and away, the most common one is to restore fertility. So in men who have secondary hypogonadism, uh, means that they were normal before and they developed it secondary to some disease state like a pituitary tumor or other related tumor or surgery, etc. Men who went through puberty first, you can give just HCG and that increases the intertesticular testosterone levels. And in most men who went through normal puberty and had normal function after puberty, you can actually restore fertility. And just and we think it's by increasing those intertesticular testosterone levels. It may have some role on on uh, the Sertoli cells and the and the spermatogonia as a secondary consequence of uh, androgen production, uh, but uh, it seems to work in this group of men as a, as a monotherapy. In rare patients, however, we do have to add FSH. So patients would take an injection of HCG and FSH to achieve fertility. Interestingly, the time of maturation from a sperm cell, uh, from a spermatogonia to a, to a sperm cell that's capable of fertilizing is, is said to be 70 to 90 days. So that if you were hypogonadal taking testosterone and your sperm cells and, and the precursor cells were sort of in a resting state, it would probably take about two to three months of therapy to restore fertility if you're going to use this approach of using HCG and FSH. I've seen patients restore fertility within a month, but those are patients with partial hypogonadism. You have a complete hypogonadism, it's going to take longer. Um, so that, that's all very interesting and tremendous in this uh, day and age that we can use this drug to try to stimulate fertility in men who have hypopituitarism. In the use of this compound for fertility, the usual dose is about anywhere from 1,500 to 2,500 units injected every other day uh, to restore fertility. Uh, it's an intramuscular injection. It can be painful. It could be a real drag having to give yourself an IM injection every other day. I think many of my patients tell me that it is. 
so as a consequence, it's often used in fertility cases in patients who sort of are on testosterone and say, now we want to try for a baby. So then we'll sort of, you know, three to six months before they really want to try to get pregnant, we'll we'll start on this drug and, and usually stop the testosterone because this drug will stimulate testosterone production, even from a testicle that's sitting there for years without stimulation. Uh, and then once fertility is achieved because of the expense and the cumbersome nature of using this drug and injecting it, we'll switch people back to their testosterone therapy. Now, I've had several patients who wanted to use uh, HCG to maintain testicular volume because most people with hypogonadism, their testicular volume will diminish in size. When you take testosterone, it might diminish in size further. And this is because most of testicular volume is fluid and sperm cells and the cells that are nursing sperm cells, and that all sort of gets smaller and goes away when patients take testosterone in a setting of hypopituitarism. It doesn't go away, it's just it's less active, so there's less fluid and the testicles become smaller in volume. And this is a concern to some men and their partners. So we can actually use HCG in them to help increase and maintain testicular volume. And that's obviously better than plastic surgery having testicular implants. Uh, and these patients will often use uh, HCG in a dose of about 500 units every uh, other day. Um, so it's less expensive because of that, but uh, it's possibly not going to be restorative of fertility except in those who had partial hypogonadism to begin with. Uh, but it's a very effective uh, therapy. I have seen some young men, however, who have hypogonadism and they want to use HCG only. Uh, to treat um, their hypogonadism, and of course that's reasonable. It helps maintain testicular volume and also helps to get the testosterone levels to normal. In most cases, however, insurance companies reject it because it's more expensive than testosterone replacement, uh, and it seems to get relegated to being a fertility drug rather than a hormone replacement drug. I have mixed feelings about that. I'm, I'm a strong patient advocate, and I like to try to get things approved for my patients. Uh, uh, according to what they feel is going to be the best treatment for them. But that's one of the things that we run into a lot when we try to use HCG only as a, uh, uh, an androgen replacement uh, uh, methodology. About the only two problems that I have seen in patients who take HCG, uh, whether it be for fertility, testicular volume replacement, or as their form of androgen replacement, is that uh, after a while you can see high testosterone levels. So it's critical to follow those levels every six to 12 weeks for the first year of treatment. And ultimately you have to ratchet the dose down uh, sometimes to just 1,000 or 750 units uh, every other day. Um, I've actually had patients take it twice a week and still maintained healthy testosterone levels. So it's, it's important to find the right dose and a dose that does not result in elevated testosterone levels uh, because there are attendant risks associated with having testosterone levels that are high, including uh, polycythemia, which is a thickening of the blood, an elevated hematocrit, elevated PSA, and a change in the uh, good to bad cholesterol ratio that uh, is uh, less favorable and more likely to lead to cardiovascular disease, not to mention some behavioral changes that we've seen in men with high androgen levels as well. The other complication is that of a high estradiol level, and um, that uh, uh, 
fact remains that HCG stimulates testosterone production by the Leydig cells, but it also results in some estrogen production as well. Just as the ovary makes estrogens and androgens, the testicle makes androgens and estrogens. And you can see elevated estrogen levels. And if the estrogen level gets high enough uh, and the ratio of testosterone to estrogen changes, men can actually get some nipple tenderness, uh, soreness, and uh, breast growth. Uh, and this is best managed by lowering the dose of HCG. Uh, if you get to a situation where you can't lower the dose enough to keep the testosterone up and the estrogen stays up, then you can use what's called an aromatase inhibitor to block the conversion uh, of androgens to estrogens. But I tend not to like to do that. I like to focus first on uh, adjusting the dose of HCG in patients. So that uh, the only other thing I'll say about HCG is that there is a fad diet that involves using HCG to lose weight. I've had patients try that. I don't prescribe it and never will, uh, but just be aware that that's out there. Uh, it seems to cause weight loss, but in most cases that I've seen, patients have regained their weight when they stopped the program. And I don't recommend using high doses of HCG in an attempt to try to lose weight. I was asked once upon a time why you lose weight with this therapy, and it's not clear to me. Uh, I'm sure that someone's talked about the mechanism, but I don't understand uh, the rationale of using this hormone in uh, the setting of uh, uh, being overweight to try to lose weight. All right, well, that's all I have to say at the moment about uh, HCG use in men with hypogonadism and hypopituitarism. Uh, I hope this has been useful and informative and gives you something to talk to your physicians about as you move forward planning a family or considering the different options of testosterone replacement. Uh, once again, Lewis Blevins of Pituitary World News. Have a wonderful evening. You've been listening to Dr. Lewis Blevins on another exclusive podcast from Pituitary World News. Thank you for listening. And just a quick reminder, if you'd like to donate, please do so by going to our website at pituitaryworldnews.org and click on Get Involved. Thank you.